be honored and glorified tonight, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. So we have these 13 different Calvary Chapel distinctives, and this week we look at the centrality of Jesus Christ. And that heading, that title is a tiny bit misleading. It will be better put, the centrality of Jesus Christ in worship. And this is a distinctive of Calvary Chapel Miami and the heart and the mindset behind our worship. Similar to the theme of grace upon grace, it's not a new theological view of grace that Calvary Chapel has. That would be heresy. It's just the view Calvary Chapel has towards ministry and towards people within the ministry. It's just grace upon grace. Chuck Smith, he says, one important characteristic of Calvary Chapel is the centrality of Jesus Christ in our worship. We don't allow any practice or behavior that would distract people from focusing on him. I wrote, it is the responsibility of the senior pastor to make sure that there are no distractions or disruptions during the worship service. This helps people maintain their focus on what matters, which is Jesus Christ. We, found this, we find this three different times in Scripture. If you're there in Matthew chapter 6, it gives us the focus on Jesus Christ in our giving. No distractions when we're giving. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, Jesus says, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. So again, Jesus is the center focus of our giving. I don't think many of us struggle with that. Thank God I didn't hear anyone blowing a trumpet before they dropped something in the tithe box back there. I hope and pray you're not sending people screenshots of your tithe statement, right? Or or your online giving statement. Another place where we find this, it's in our preaching. You can just write this down. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. How Jesus needs to be the center focus in any teaching. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. Again, the main takeaway, the main focus in a Bible study at a church service should be Jesus Christ. It shouldn't be uh, the stage. It shouldn't be the tools. It shouldn't be the tool being used, but it should be Jesus Christ. The last one, we could turn there. It's in Revelation chapter 5, verse 6, and this literally has to do with our worship. Revelation chapter 5, verse 6. I hope you enjoyed worship tonight. I did. If you don't enjoy worship, heaven may be a bit difficult for you because there's going to be a whole lot of worship going on in heaven. So get used to it now. Get excited for it now. Revelation chapter 5, verse 6. John says, And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb. As though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. 
So the center focus of our worship in eternity is going to be Jesus Christ. So whether it's our worship, whether it's our preaching and teaching or our giving, Jesus is the one that needs to be at the center focus and everything else sort of just needs to fade into the background. A bit of an excerpt here. We'll read a couple and then we'll just go more and more through scripture. Chuck Smith, he says, At Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, if someone does stand up, the usher approaches them and invites them to the back of the foyer. Then one of the pastors talks to them there gently and in love. They usually say, we don't practice this because we've discovered that it draws people's attention away from the worship. And surely, you don't want to take that person's attention away from Jesus and put it on yourself, would you? We tell them that they're drawing attention to themselves and people are losing the central focus on Jesus. We talk to them in love and suggest that if they do not do it and if they get upset, it shows that they were in the flesh the whole time. If they're really in the spirit and walking in the spirit, they will take it in the spirit. They'll say, oh, I didn't realize that. I'm so sorry. But if they get all huffy, then you know that they were in the flesh. Right? We, we say it from time to time. If you really want to know if someone loves you, give them a little vitamin N. What's vitamin N? The word no, right? The word no. You really want to know if someone loves you? Tell them no when they ask something from you. When they ask for a favor, when they ask for a special privilege, just give them a no. When they ask for dessert for the fifth time during the week, right? Those three little people, just tell them no, and you'll see whether they really like you or not or where they're at. Talking about my own kids, right? Just give them a little bit of vitamin N. But this transcends far beyond our style of worship. This really goes through our hearts and every day of life. In Proverbs chapter 9, verse 7 through 9, watch the comparing and contrasting here. He who corrects a scoffer gets shame for himself, and he who rebukes a wicked man only harms himself. Do not correct a scoffer lest he hate you. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will still be wiser. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. Family, when someone corrects you, how do you respond? How do you respond? Someone tells you you're doing something wrong, you're doing something off. How do you respond? Is it with hate, with anger, or is it with love and gratitude? Proverbs chapter 12 verse 15 tells us, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he who heeds counsel is wise. So again, this goes straight to the heart that at times we do. We have to approach people and speak to the way they're acting and behaving within a church service. And oftentimes their heart is revealed right away. Whether if it's shame and fear and sadness or whether, again, the, the peacock feathers start to open up, the chest opens up, right? And they begin to tell you, how dare you tell me I'm doing anything wrong? It's very interesting, if you would have walked into Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, 10, 15 years ago, you would almost think it was a Baptist church, because Chuck Smith, he would walk out with a suit and tie, and there'd be an organ playing oftentimes, or a piano playing for worship. In Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, everyone would sit down during worship, and no one was allowed to stand up. If you would stand up, that's what he's saying, an usher would come to you, tap you on the shoulder, and tell you, to, hey, let's go talk outside. Here within Calvary Chapel, Miami, we handle that a bit differently. 
We know that within our culture, within this day and age, most people, they worship the Lord standing up. So that's why we tell people, hey, let's stand. And if you want to sit down at any point in service, you're more than welcome to. We just find it it's less distracting for the people that want to worship and want to stand. But there have, there have been instances where people, they like to dance in the middle of worship here. And the ushers, you guys should pray for them, right? The ushers and the sound guys, nobody notices them when everything's going great. It's only when things go bad that they get noticed. But that's a separate story. They have to talk to people sometimes. And for whatever reason, the dancers, they love to sit right there. Nobody's sitting there right now, right? But they love to sit right there, right, right in front of everyone. And it is a distraction. You guys are laughing because you've been there. It's a distraction. They don't stand off in the back corner so no one could tease them so that they could dance in front of the Lord or dance like David danced, like the excuses many people use. If you're in a parade, a Christian parade, you could dance all that you want. David was in a parade. They were bringing the Ark of the Covenant back, and it was a parade, so David danced. If you're in a parade, go for it and dance. But in the tabernacle, in the temple, you see nothing of the sort. Chuck Smith, another excerpt, he says, It is important that we keep Jesus Christ as the central focus and keep distractions to a minimum. When distractions do take place, deal with them, and if necessary, publicly talk about them. When I was in Bible college, there was a fellow who would always sit down in the front row, usually at one of the most powerful moments in the service, when the Spirit of God was truly moving in the hearts of the people, he would stand up, raise his hands, and yell, Hallelujah! Everyone would begin to laugh, but then everyone's attention was on the character crying out, Hallelujah! And now the point of the sermon was lost. He destroyed so many sermons because of his actions. Chuck Smith continues, says, so I determined I was going to stop it. I sat on the row right behind him, and when he leaned over to get his hallelujah bit, I grabbed his shoulder, began to pinch a nerve, and held him down to his knees. <laughs> Nobody else had the courage to stop him. They just let it go on and on and on, and it was such a distracting thing. That's the heart of a true shepherd. That's the heart of a true shepherd. Fear should not rule in our hearts, much less if we are a shepherd. You dad, you should not allow fear to be the reason why you don't do something to protect your wife or your children. And it's the same for a pastor or a leader within the church. Chuck Smith, he says, we get to the place where we accept things that are wrong because we do not have the courage to stop them. We're afraid of being accused of quenching the spirit. I will quench that kind of spirit. Not the Holy Spirit, but the Spirit that is seeking to bring attention to an individual distracting people from the worship of the Lord. Of all the different chapters, Chuck gives the most application within this chapter. But here, the spirit of fear, that's not for us as believers. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, it says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. If someone has to ask you a difficult question at Calvary Chapel, Miami, do you respond with anger or hate like we read in Proverbs or with love and gratitude? It's the difference between the fool and the wise man. And all of you guys look like wise guys and wise gals, right? We should respond to correction with gratitude and love. It's also the responsibility of the senior pastor to make sure the person being glorified in the church service is only Jesus Christ. 
No one else is being glorified. Chuck warned us about someone that has that spirit of an individual wanting to raise himself up so that all the church can see him. That's why we don't allow speaking in tongues in the middle of a church service. It's not the time and place for that. If we don't have interpretive dancers doing worship, because then you're not worshiping, you're looking at the dancers, what kind of moves they got or don't got, right? And it's so interesting how things go around within Christendom. When I was growing up, there would be the, I think you call them ribbonettes, right? And they would dance with ribbons in the middle of church services that sort of died. And now it's coming back. Everything's coming back. Bell-bottom jeans coming back, right? All these different things coming back into style. But it takes the focus and attention off of the Lord and off of the worship. Someone that they come into worship and they want to start singing in an operatic voice. It's a bit distracting. Someone that starts scatting in the middle of the service. They could be the best jazz musician ever. But it's not the time and the place for that. We are to all worship the Lord in unison, not distracting people to look at ourselves, but to look on Jesus Christ. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7. And this quickly can become dangerous territory if our hearts are wrong. And we're going to look at the worst of the worst if our hearts are wrong. Off. There's some people that they don't realize it, they don't know what they're doing, and then if they have a, a heart of, that's filled with the Spirit and humility, they're going to say, I'm sorry, I didn't know I was doing that. If they don't have that type of heart, we talked about it, they sort of f- uh, flail up, peacock feathers come out, the chest blows up, and you know where they're at. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27 But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. Be honest with you, I love the scripture for my life and for ministry. It reminds me to keep myself small in my own eyes. But why does God do this? Verse 29 tells us. That no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. The only one who should be glorified within our church services should be Jesus Christ. You may be the most incredible dancer ever. Church isn't the time for it. You go to someone's wedding, you see everybody dancing salsa. That's awesome. I don't have that gifting. I don't. I wish I did. My wife wishes I did. But I don't have that gifting, right? But church service isn't the time to bust a move and put that glory out for yourself. Or all the different types of singing, all the different types of dancing, all the types of different movement, even within our worship. Our musicians, they are more than capable of doing incredible things. But they tone it back a bit to worship and honor the Lord. No flesh should glory in his presence. Isaiah 42 verse 8. It says, I am the Lord, that is my name. And my glory I will not give to another. God, he doesn't share his glory. And the moment that a man or a woman begins to touch his glory, bad things happen. He says it again in Isaiah 48, 11, I will not give my glory to another. Our God is all-powerful. He alone is holy, and nothing else in the universe is holy besides him. 
and he is unwilling to share his glory with anyone. And whenever someone seeks to glorify themselves, especially under the disguise of being spiritual, bad things happen. We could turn to Leviticus chapter 10. Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 through 3. We see two men by the name of Nadab and Abihu. And you can kind of tell if the people in Scripture are famous for good things or famous for bad things. Because you sit back and you think, how many Nadabs and Abihus do I know today, right? I don't know too many. Verse 1, Leviticus chapter 10 tells us that Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it, put incense on it, and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. And Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near to me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. So Aaron held his peace. This is the very moment when God, he pours out his spirit into the tabernacle. And it seems as if Nadab and Abihu, they wanted a bit of the glory. Our God must be glorified in our times of worship. Not man, not any man or any woman. Even more so within the temple and within his house of worship. It's a great question for us here. When we are serving, who are we seeking to glorify? If you serve here at church, who are you seeking to glorify? And a great way to tell us how would you react if your overseer asked you to step down. Would you be okay with that? Or would anger pop up? Would pride raise up? Who are you seeking to glorify through your service? Is it the Lord or is it yourself? Right? If you're in worship and, hey, there's a need in the kiddos' worship, would that be a demotion in your mind? Or would you say, I want to glorify the Lord anywhere where I'm at? You're teaching from the pulpit. You're teaching a class. You're teaching someone else, hey, the three-year-olds, they need a class today. And you're it, baby. Time to get in there, right? Would that be a demotion? Would that be a shot to your pride? Or would you say, man, I get an opportunity to glorify the Lord here? Alexander McLaren, he says, our censors are often flaming with strange fire. How much so-called Christian worship glows with self-will or with partisan zeal? When we seek to worship God for what we can get, when we rush into his presence with hot and eager desires, which we have not seen our church thinking the only thing necessary for an experience with Jesus Christ is humility and a hunger for the word, a hunger for his spirit. Is that what we're leaving people here with? All I need is Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Both of those people are omnipresent, so I can meet with them anywhere. I can meet with them when I'm having a bad day at work there in the break room. I can meet with them alone in my car. I can meet with them at the park. I can meet with them in the terrible traffic in Miami, right? I can meet with them at the beach, in the Everglades, in my house, in my home, in my closet. I can have an experience with Jesus Christ anywhere and everywhere because he is anywhere and everywhere. And our flesh is so quick 
to think that we need a specific thing or a specific place to experience Jesus. Even good things, even godly things, even blessed things. How many of us, if we're truly honest, thought, hey, I just need to drive up to headwaters and then God will talk to me there. Hey, if only Jose would let me back into the ranch, then I would hear from God there. Hey, if someone could get me a discount at Bonita, then I could hear from God there, right? God is not at a specific location. Our God is everywhere and anywhere. What's required to meet with Him is a broken and contrite heart. That's what's required to meet with Him. It's not a specific camp or a retreat or anything else. And that's why the centrality of Jesus Christ in our worship reminds people the only thing they need for an experience with Jesus Christ is Jesus Christ Himself. It's just a broken and contrite spirit. Now, none of these things are innately sinful. If you got gold dust for your child's birthday party, don't repent. Don't come up front for prayer, right? If your pastor is slick and smooth, not this pastor, but if your pastor is slick and smooth, nothing wrong with that. If your church has large crowds, if your church has community groups, if your church has that concert setting, if your church has that egg drop, that Santa, that hot chocolate, petting zoo, all of the above, none of those things are innately sinful. But they can quickly become something that replaces or mimics the actual working of God. That's when it gets sinful. That's when it gets dangerous. That's when you could think that, God, we have everything. We're rich, we're wealthy, and you don't realize that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. The last responsibility of the senior pastor is to make sure the people and the flock know that they don't need that much to have a true encounter and experience with Jesus Christ. That's why a pastor has to pay careful attention to what's happening during the time of worship and during the teaching of the word. So many of the ministries, the vast majorities of the ministries that we have as a church running during 9 o'clock, during the 11 o'clock, and during our Wednesday night service are to limit distractions during the teaching of the word. Why do we have kids ministry? Because you need a break from your kids? No, that's not the reason why, right? Maybe you do ask someone for prayer. But the reason we have kids ministry is so that you're not trying to listen to the word while your kids are pulling on you, telling you they got to go to the bathroom, telling you that they're bored, telling you what they want for their birthday, all those different things. That's why there's kids ministry. And they get to learn at their own level. There's parking lot ministers so you don't have to be worried about your car or someone breaking in. There's security outside to make sure that to keep us safe, that there's no distractions or randos running in here in the church and causing distraction or problems. So much of the ministry in the church, it's all about the centrality of Jesus Christ and his word. So that's why the simplicity of Jesus Christ needs to rise to the surface within our church, but also within our homes, within our lives. If people would pick one attribute to put on you, right? One characteristic, one person to attach to you, who would it be? Would it be Jesus Christ? Would it be someone else, some other athlete, some other celebrity, some other person? Is Jesus truly what rises to the surface of your life? Because my heart, my prayer, is that he and the word of God is what would rise to the surface of what our church is known for. So, let's pray. The worship team can come up. Got some extra time to worship. Nobody dancing now, right? And uh, also just spend some time worshiping the Lord. Lord, we love you, God. And uh, Jesus, we thank you for all the different churches within our nation, Lord. We're blessed at the family that we have, Lord. And we thank you that these things, Lord, it doesn't mean someone is saved or not saved, Lord. But this is what makes us a Calvary Chapel, Lord. 
Uh, so, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for our Pentecostal brothers and sisters, Lord, our Baptist brothers and sisters, those who are even Roman Catholics, Lord, and love you and serve you and see you as the only mediator and savior of their lives, Lord. Uh, but, God, we thank you that you've brought us into this family, Lord. We thank you for this heritage that you've blessed us with, Lord, and just the simplicity of you, Lord. We thank you for just being a part of a family that just likes things simple, Lord, that likes to be able to worship you without distraction, with each human slowly falling into the background, Lord, and you rising to the surface, Lord, in all of your glory and of all of your splendor, Lord. Lord, pray that you'd be with us, Lord. If any of us, perhaps our pride was pricked a bit, Lord, I pray that we would bring that under you, Lord. We would bring that under you, Lord, under the humility that you put on display and the Lord and Savior that you truly are, God. So, Lord, we just love you. We pray that and ask that you would be blessed with our worship, Lord. We pray and ask that you would be glorified with our worship, Lord, that as people leave this place, they would know that it is Jesus Christ who can save us and that Jesus Christ, you're the most important person to have ever walked this planet. So, Lord, we just love you. We thank you, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.